Okay, here we go. Welcome back. Chapter 3 of Out of This World by Neville Goddard. Hey, everybody. Hey. Hey, it's great to have you here. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> I had smoked salmon on a bagel, so I'm feeling pretty good. Right, okay. I hope you all enjoyed the previous two chapters. This is really an interesting, you know, the way Neville writes is certainly different from the way Joseph Murphy introduces this information to us. But the information is quite similar, as we shall soon see again with chapter three here of Out of This World. The chapter's title, Power of Imagination. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8.32 Men claim that a true judgment must conform to the external reality to which it relates. This means that if I, while imprisoned, suggest to myself that I am free, and succeed in believing that I am free, it is true that I believe in my freedom, but it does not follow that I am free, for I may be the victim of illusion. But, because of my own experiences, I have come to believe in so many strange things that I see little reason to doubt the truth of the things that are beyond my experience. The ancient teachers warned us not to judge from appearances, because, said they, the truth need not conform to the external reality to which it relates. They claimed that we bore false witness if we imagined evil against another that no matter how real our belief appears to be, how truly it conforms to the external reality to which it relates, if it does not make free the one of whom we hold the belief, it is untrue, and therefore a false judgment. We are called upon to deny the evidence of our senses, and to imagine as true of our neighbor that which makes him free. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. To know the truth of our neighbor, we must assume that he is already that which he desires to be. Any concept we hold of another that is short of his fulfilled desire will not make him free, and therefore cannot be truth. Instead of learning my craft in schools where attending courses and seminars is considered a substitute for self-acquired knowledge, my schooling was devoted almost exclusively to the power of imagination. I stayed for hours imagining myself to be other than which my reason and my senses dictated, until the imagined states were vivid as reality, so vivid that passerby became but a part of my imagination and acted as I would have them. By the power of imagination, my fantasy led theirs and dictated to them their behavior and their discourse they held together while I was identified with my imagined state. Man's imagination is the man himself, and the world as imagination sees it is the real world. But it is our duty to imagine all that is lovely and of good report. Philippians 4.8 
And that is actually an extended version of the very quote that Joseph Murphy mentions. And in another, from the Bible, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. And yet another classic from Joseph Murphy as well, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. You know, and it even goes back all the way to the ancient Egyptians. When you died, what they did for judgment was take your heart and weigh it against a feather. If the heart was lighter than the feather, you passed on to a happy afterlife. If not, it got eaten by that alligator, and I think you had to do it all over again, or pass on into the afterlife. But, you know, the afterlife is a little bit different. Even so, here it is. You got God looking at your heart, because that's where we really lie, where we hold our truest and most amazing awesome selves deep within ourselves. And as we thinketh in our heart, so are we. And again, like I was saying before, the way Neville Goddard writes is different from the way Joseph Murphy writes, but the information is the same for the most part. Slightly different perspective, slightly more verbose, a lot of the same Bible verses, but the way you think shapes who you are and how you perceive yourself on the inside is what you emanate from the inside out. goes back to that Habit Mastery book, identify with the character, the personality, the identity of someone that would have the goal you're setting for yourself. Start there, inside out. And that goal of being a painter, pianist, entrepreneur, gregarious individual, fantastic party thrower, horse whisperer, whatever, will be that much closer already to you. Also, yeah, one thing I didn't mention in the last episode that is, here it is again, inside out, you know, start from the heart, it's where God's looking. But start from the inside, inside out, that is, it goes right back to, um, again, Stanislavski's acting method. The shorthand, it's funny, because you had, uh, here, a little uh, actor anecdote for you. Two very well-known actors in their day. You had Dustin Hoffman and Laurence Olivier in the movie Running Man. They were, they were working together. Dustin Hoffman was, a, especially in his younger years, really well-known for his method acting, inside out, believing it, investing into it wholeheartedly to the point where you become it, changing your interior so much so that your behavior emanates naturally uh, that of the character's behavior, becoming the character from the inside out. Whereas Laurence Olivier, completely different, he would put on a costume and put on a voice and take on all of the exterior, I don't want to say symptoms, but symptoms, uh, characteristics, parts of the machine that would make up the character and allow his work to be informed by all of these bits and pieces that he would add onto himself and not really worry about the interior life at all. Not, not, you know, just memorize his lines, do the work, do the technical aspect of whatever it, you know, stand here, say this, do that. But because he was able to put on the costume, stand in the way his character would stand, speak in the way his character would speak, all from a technical put-upon point of view, his work would appear, uh, you know, fantastic, professional, wonderful. But, uh, um, so Running Man, in the movie, Dustin Hoffman, running all the time, running away from 
Laurence Olivier, who is trying to kill him. Running, running, running. So, you know, before all these shots and scenes and moments where Dustin Hoffman had to be out of breath, he would go around the block and just run himself into a stupor where he would just be almost out of breath, almost passing out, doing it, taking himself in actuality to the moment of his character's point of view, where he would be tired of shit and ready to pass out. But then they would say action, and because he was already there completely, fully, all the work that he had done in physically putting himself in the state of his character as well as the mental point of view that his character would have at the time, being so tired, running away, being afraid of dying, being killed, being eliminated by his villain. Uh, his work really showed. It was great. Laurence Olivier, meanwhile, would show up, put his costume on, chill, step on to where he needed to be and, and his mark. They'd say action, and boom, he'd just go in a much more technical sense. I mean, one seems way uh, more relaxed than the other, and hey, uh, most method actors, it ends up taking a toll on them just because of the kind of commitment involved in the method-style acting. Marlon Brando. Oh, who's the dude that plays Bill the Butcher? I drink your milkshake. He was Lincoln. Hold on. Name always escapes me. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis, huge method actor, puts himself into uh, self-imposed isolation and cobbles shoes after he's done with very difficult roles because he knows the kind of toll it takes on him. I knew all of that information. I couldn't remember his name. Yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis. Really uh, one of the last heavy hitters when it comes to method acting. You don't see that kind of commitment anymore, ever. But I think it makes all the difference, that kind of commitment to a point of view, to the point where it makes that point of view real to you. So anyway, yeah, uh, the idea of going from the inside out, outside in, this whole story. There was a joke that Laurence Olivier told Dustin Hoffman, after like the fifth or sixth take of him having to run around the block, being out of breath, being super scared of Laurence Olivier's character, Laurence Olivier leaned over to this out-of-breath young Dustin Hoffman on the edge of passing out and throwing up at the same time. And he said to him, Dustin, why don't you try acting? Yeah, it was a big setup. I don't know if it was a really good, uh, you know, but thanks for hanging in there. The whole idea is that method acting... <laughs> is very, very similar in terms of its execution to this kind of participatory outlook in living in the end. I mentioned it in the um, read-through and commentation on Joseph Murphy's Power of the Subconscious Mind. That magic if, which he even brings up, the magic if, what would I do if I were this person? Goes back to the habit mastery. What would I do if I was somebody that generated wealth by creating content, the kind of content that I enjoy generating? What would I feel if I were a painter that painted on a regular basis? What would I smell if I was the healthiest I could be when it comes to eating and physical activity? What would a homesteader hear? What would your optimal self see, hear, feel, think? And then, see, hear, feel, and think them. 
to the point where they are primary and everything else falls away. Rah, rah, rah. Long stuff. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of repetition because this stuff is everywhere and it is repeated. It is, it's coming from all sorts of places. Just because I see it pop up all the time from all of these different avenues and areas and uh, through personal experience, it's, it's, got, it's got potency. It's got a hold of me. And the more we access this process of stripping away and unlearning that which came before, which has clouded our limitless visions, the closer we come to the lives that we want to live and pursue adventure with, with this adventure of pursuing those lives. And you know, the journey is half the fun. Anyway, here we go. In meditation, when the brain grows luminous, I find my imagination endowed with the magnetic power to attract to me whatsoever I desire. Desire is the power imagination uses to fashion life about me as I fashion it within myself. I first desire to see a certain person or scene, and then I look at it as though I were seeing that which I want to see, and the imagined state becomes objectively real. I desire to hear, and then I listen as though I were hearing, and the imagined voice speaks that which I dictate as though it had initiated the message. Again, see what you want to see, smell what you want to smell, hear what you want to hear, feel what you want to feel. And that, you know, also comes from neurolinguistic programming. I could give you many examples to prove my arguments, to prove that these imagined states do become physical realities, but I know that my examples will awaken in all who have not met the like or who are not inclined towards my arguments, a most natural incredulity. Nevertheless, experience has convinced me of the truth of the statement, He calleth those things which be not as though they were. Romans 4.17 For I have, in intense meditation, called things that were not seen as though they were, and the unseen not only became seen, but eventually became physical realities. By this method, <laughs> method, first desiring and then imagining that we are experiencing that which we desire to experience, we can mold the future in harmony with our desire. But let us follow the advice of the prophet and think only the lovely and the good, for the imagination waits on us as indifferently and as swiftly when our nature is evil as when it is good. From us spring forth good and evil. I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil. Deuteronomy 30.15 Desire and imagination are the enchanter's wand of fable, and they draw to themselves their own affinities. They break forth best when the mind is in a state akin to sleep. That sleepy, dreamy state. I have written with some care and detail the method I use to enter the dimensionally larger world, but I shall give one more formula for opening the door of the larger world. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men, and sealeth their instruction. Job 33, 15, and 16 these Bible quotes, man, I'll tell you what. 
In dream we are usually the servant of our vision rather than its master, but the internal fantasy of dream can be turned into an external reality. In dream, as in meditation, we slip from this world into a dimensionally larger world, and I know that the forms in dream are not flat two-dimensional images, which modern psychologists believe them to be. They are substantial realities of the dimensionally larger world, and I can lay hold of them. I have discovered that if I surprise myself dreaming, I can lay hold of any inanimate or stationary form of the dream, a chair, a table, a stairway, a tree, and command to awake, while firmly holding on the object of the dream. I am pulled through myself with a distinct feeling of awakening from dream. I awaken in another sphere, holding the object of my dream, to find that I am no longer the servant of my vision, but its master. For I am fully conscious and in control of the movements of my attention. It is in this fully conscious state, when we are in control of the direction of thought, that we call things that are not seen as though they were. In this state, we call things by wishing and assuming the feeling of our wish fulfilled. Unlike the world of three dimensions where there is an interval between our assumption and its fulfillment, in the dimensionally larger world, there is an immediate realization of our assumption. The external reality instantly mirrors our assumption. Here there is no need to wait four months till harvest, see John 4.35. We look again as though we saw, and lo and behold, the fields are already white to harvest. In this dimensionally larger world, ye shall not need to fight, set yourselves. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you, Chronicles 20.17. And because that greater world is slowly passing through our three-dimensional world, we can, by the power of imagination, mold our world in harmony with our desire. Look as though you saw. Listen as though you heard. Stretch forth your imaginary hand as though you touched. And your assumptions will harden into facts. I mean, there it is, right? See all the visions, hear all the sounds, smell all the smells, feel all the touches of where you want to be. To those who believe that a true judgment must conform to the external reality to which it relates, this will be foolishness and a stumbling block. 1 Corinthians 1.23 But I preach and practice the fixing and consciousness of that which man desires to realize. Experience convinces me that fixed attitudes of mind which do not conform to the external reality to which they relate are therefore called imaginary, things which are not will, nevertheless, bring to naught things that are. 1 Corinthians 1.28 I do not wish to write a book of wonders, but rather to turn man's mind back to the one and only reality that the ancient teachers worshipped as God. All that was said of God was in reality said of man's consciousness, so we may say that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in his own consciousness. 1 Corinthians 1.31, 2 Corinthians 10.17 and 18. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he hath understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. Jeremiah 9.24. No man needs help to direct him in the application of this law of consciousness. I am 
is the self-definition of the absolute, the root out of which everything grows. I am the vine, John 15.1, 15.5. What is your answer to the eternal question, who am I? That's a fun thing to just sit down and meditate for ten minutes with. Who am I? Am I my skin? No. Am I my clothes? No. Am I my computer? No. My microphone? My bed? My bed sheets? The blood that pulses through my veins? My muscles? My eyeballs? My nose hairs? <laughs> no. No. Are you your breath? No. Are you your lungs? No. Are you your thoughts? No. Well, then, who am I? And Neville Goddard continues, Your answer determines the part you play in the world's drama. Your answer, that is your concept of self, need not conform to the external reality to which it relates. This great truth is revealed in the statements, Let the weak say, I am strong. Joel 3.10 Look back over the good resolutions with which many past New Years are encumbered. They lived a little while and then they died. Why? Because they were severed from their root. Assume that you are that which you want to be. And you know, to answer that question, who am I? Perhaps the answer is, whoever you want to be, as long as you believe it. Believe it. And it shall be. Because there really doesn't seem to be an answer until you decide to put your attention on whatever answer you decide to attend to. And again, attention, it's not just the conscious attention, but it is a kind of wholehearted dedication, a commitment via the method or whatever method you are employing to fully attend to your decision. But decide, and it is real. I mean, here I am imagining a campfire in my mind. I am envisioning it. I'm hearing the crackles. I'm seeing the light. It's got that nice little circular ring of stones around it. The logs are lined and, you know, piled on itself in a kind of pyramid formation, but some are burning, so it's good. sometimes it tumbles and, and the coals kind of up into the air. I'm seeing that right now in my head, for lack of a better term. Who's to say that I'm not? That's real. I'm seeing that in my head right now. You can't tell me I'm not. I am. I'm seeing it right now. I can even call up the sounds and crackles and, oh, the smell of that smoke. Mmm. It's pleasant. And now I have this course of pleasantness streaming through me. That's real. That's a real thing. I just went from the unmanifest to the manifest where I had a physical reaction to something completely non-physical. That's real. Assume that you are that which you want to be. Experience in imagination what you would experience in the flesh were you already that which you want to be. Remain faithful to your assumption so that you define yourself as that which you have assumed. Things have no life if they are severed from their roots. And our consciousness, our I amness, or I like to say our isness, is the root of all that springs in our world. If we believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. John 8.24 That is, if I do not believe that I am already that which I desire to be, 
then I remain as I am and die in my present concept of self. <laughs> there is no power outside of the consciousness of man to resurrect and make alive that which man desires to experience. That man who is accustomed to call up at will whatever images he pleases will be, by virtue of the power of his imagination, master of his fate. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John 11.25 Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Mm-mm-mm. That was a nice and motivating chapter. I like that one. And that is the end of chapter three. Muchas gracias for you to be here. I am enjoying this very much. I hope you are too. If I imagine myself as a Spanish lover with long hair and a very nice mustache walking along the banks of a beach where the sun is setting and the warm waves are lapping against my toes. Do I not make it real for myself as I speak this way? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Here's to you deciding where to put your attention to and having it become so real you feel the lap of warmth of the shore tickling your toes too. Hey, thanks for hanging. We got one more chapter to go with Out of This World. I'll catch you on the next one.